0: His title is Red Herring's Blue Fringe Syndromes. My last message <coughs> about the ashes, sifting through the ashes, I actually had 33 pages of handwritten notes. And I only gave the beginning of that and the ending of it. So today I took some of the information out of the min- middle of it <coughs> and edited it into this message, the red herrings and blue fringe syndromes. <coughs> Would you like to be a better Christian? Do you want to be a better Christian? You always say the right thing, do the right thing. So we know that we're pleasing God better and more fully, manifesting ourselves in Jesus. Well, quite often, out of this desire, we can make ourselves susceptible to red herrings and blue fringe syndromes. The red herring is a figurative expression referring to a logical fallacy, it's a logical fallacy in which a clue or a piece of information is misleading or distracting from the actual question. It is a conclusion drawn from logic, but wherein there is erroneous logic or an erroneous conclusion from that logic. The blue fringe term is taken from the scriptures. It was directed by God to Israel to place blue fringes on garments as a reminder to keep all the commandments given to them by God. I like to refer to red herrings and blue fringes as diversions or shadows of reality. They come in many forms physical, ritualistic, emotional, intellectual, and are usually dressed up as something desirable, important, with an desirable, important, with an element of inherent superiority contained within them because it is supposed to improve our spirituality. And because it improves our spirituality, we need to know this, have this, and do this. But in reality, they can circumvent Jesus, be outside the teachings of Jesus, and actually impede our spiritual growth. Red herrings and blue fringed r- fringes can be associated with activity or with other groups, wherein there is an activity itself that confuses the activity of the group with the process of spiritual growth. An example of red herring. One man, years ago, decided to take the end time gospel message to witness to world leaders. That way, when the end comes, he was convinced he knew what would happen. When it would happen, he knew when the end time would come, That way, the government leaders, having been witness to, would recognize it and could direct people accordingly. It was a laudable goal. However, this was a red herring. A logical error, fallacy. When we review the Old Testament, we find God sent his servants and messengers and prophets to rulers of ancient Israel, and other countries. There was no redemption, salvation being offered to ancient Israel. The blessings offered to them were physical. This man, when undertaking the message, was witnessing to world leaders for the sake of saving man physically through the functioning of the government, not spiritually through Christ. And if that governmental leader happened to be a dictator, or even in a democratic government, they could be voted out or assassinated so that the beast could take over the nation. This man was operating out of the Old Testament. You see, because in the New Testament, Jesus circumvented the rulers and the government officials and the religious officials and the authority and took the message of redemption and salvation directly to the people. It is the individual that is redeemed and done so through the functioning New Testament church and not world governments. (laughs) The logical fallacy was the assumption that he knew when the end time was. Of course, now more than 30 years have gone by. Many of those world leaders are deceased or no longer in power. The end goal was not met and only limited returns from the effort. Uh, exist. And that's one example of a red herring. We'll go to the scriptures for an example of the blue fringe. It's in Numbers 15, 38, and 39 where God gives the instructions to the children of Israel. Speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue And it shall be unto you a fringe that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. That ye seek not after your own heart and your own eyes after which you used to go a-whoring. The Lord gave the instruction to Israel after they refused to go into the land and before Korah's rebellion. But right after giving the Ten Commandments, God made this statement in Deuteronomy 5:29. Oh, that there was such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. So God knew in advance that they were deficient in one key ingredient that would inhibit them from being able to keep the covenant agreement they were making with him. That key ingredient was heart. And so it wasn't too long in time before they failed to obey the Lord, even with the blue fringe. In Numbers 25, verse 1 through 5, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bow down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal-peor, and the anger of the Lord was was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay you every one his men that were joined unto Baal-peor. Lesson learned. Blue fringes, blue fringes didn't and don't work. God already had the solution to the problem. He intimated that in Deuteronomy 5.29 that we already read. In Hebrews 10.16, he goes further. He says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds Will I write them. Certainly, anybody can look on a blue fringe and relate that to keeping the law. And then remember, I should keep the law. But the problem is recalling the specific law for the situation that we're in. The limitations of men preclude its ability to do this. We could go on and review all the failings of Israel throughout the Old Testament. The cause was the same, the solution is the same, and the lessons learned is the same. Red herrings and blue fringes don't work. There are two possible outcomes from blue fringes that I've identified, and there may be more. It can become a total false religious system involving such things as we do have in other religions today, such as the crucifix. It can go on and become an idol, and a point of pride and arrogance. Or the reminder itself becomes transparent. You no longer even note the significance of it. You put the crucifix on or the blue fringe, and it's meaningless. That's just another decoration. It may take a week. It may take a month. It may take a year. It may take two years. But that's probably, most likely, what will happen. that's what happened to Israel. If you don't believe it, try this. Go to the hobby craft store. Buy yourself 10 spools of ribbons. Each spool, different color. 10 of them. Cut them a three inch long strip. You've got 10 fingers if you don't have any growth defects or injuries that would have detached an appendage. Tie one of those different colored ribbons around each of your fingers to remind you of all the Ten Commandments. And then, see if you break any of the Ten Commandments. Because you see, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount expanded the Ten Commandments to 27 different points in the Sermon on the Mount. So now you need more than just 10. You can't possibly have it work. But it's an even greater problem than that. Because if we review the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16, we'll find out that the rich man says in verse 30 and 31, I'm just going to relate it to you. I'm not going to turn there. Uh, send one from the dead. Because certainly, if you'll send a man that was dead back to them, a resurrect, certainly they will listen. And what was the response? No, nope, they won't listen. If they don't hear the prophets, no, just like the Blue fringe, No. And Israel didn't believe their own eyes. We can go back to Numbers 14.1. Israel visually saw and experienced God's miracles that brought them out of Israel, yet they were afraid to enter the Promised Land and wished they were back in Egypt. And we find out that all the things that happened to them were examples for us. 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 10 and 11. Now, all these things happened unto them for examples that they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world have come. It's for us to learn from their shortcomings, to avoid red herrings, blue fringes, and the end result of them. Hebrews 10.1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the comers thereon to perfect. The the red herrings and the blue fringes are not going to make you perfect as God said back in Deuteronomy 5. Here again is the key ingredient in Mark 12.30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and all thy soul, and all thy mind, and all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Matthew five twenty For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, who had blue fringes on their gowns, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And it should be noted that those who gave Judas 30 pieces of silver had blue fringes on ground on their gowns. Romans 1:17, "For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, "The just shall live by faith." So what is the significance of the Jew? Paul talks about this in Romans three verse one, one and two. What advantage has the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Verse 2. Much every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. But then he goes down in Romans 3.9 and he says, what then? Are we, we, that is we being Jews, better than they, the Gentiles? No, in no way. For we have both proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. And I'm going to reference back to a statement that Paul made before he started the discussion in Romans 3.1. I'm going to go back to Romans 2.29. And there he says, But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. There are many different forms for red heifers and uh, red heifers. (laughs) You know, these animals get real confusing sometimes. You know, heifers and and herrings? I wouldn't make a bunch of a farmer, would I? (laughs) I'd have the birds and the cows mixed together. But they can come in many forms. And Jesus met a woman back in John 4. 19 through 23 and a woman says unto him sir i perceive that you are a prophet our fathers worshipped in this mountain and you say that in, in jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship and jesus said unto her woman believe me the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at jerusalem worship the father ye worship ye not know <clears throat> ye worship you know not what we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. So the place of worship becomes less important. There was a time in my life where I felt that um, for me to have adequate spiritual contact, I needed to be in the church or in a certain place is not the case. And there's another aspect of some of these these diversions is biological purity. And here's an interesting little point. Genesis 48, 9, going back to Joseph and his sons. Genesis 48, 9, And Joseph said unto his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Skipping on down to Genesis 48:16, The angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be upon them, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now point that I want to make here is actually found back in Genesis 41-45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, and I'll let you pronounce that, um, <clears throat> 15 characters there. And he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of An. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Genesis forty one fifty and unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bare unto him. Joseph's wife was an Egyptian. So, if Ephraim and Manasseh had a father of Joseph, but an Egyptian mother. So so much for racial purity if you want to get on that bandwagon. And Jesus' genealogy. In, in the upcoming concert for the Behold the Lamb next week, there's a song that we do, Matthew Begets. <laughs> it goes through the genealogy of Christ. Well, there's one person in there, name of Ruth. And you can read this in Ruth chapter 1, verse 4. Ruth was from the tribe of Moab, which goes back to the brother of Abraham, Haran, down through Lot. and you can see that and check that out in Genesis 11:26. So even the genealogy of Jesus was not pure, Israelite, if you will. Abraham was different. <clears throat> From fleshly Israel. In James two twenty-three, James two twenty-three. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. And that's what Jesus called his followers before he was crucified. We are friends of God. Called us are His friends. But going on, an even more significant point, in Genesis 26.5. Genesis 26.5, before the law was ever given to Israel. This is what God says. This is what's written. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law. That's Genesis 26.5. So when God gave the law to Israel, he wasn't giving it to Israel for the first time. He's reinstating it to Israel after them having been 400 years in captivity. Abraham already knew the laws, the statues and the law and, and commandments. And another interesting point as we go along. Do you think the Jews are the children of Abraham? Because you see, in John eight thirty seven thirty nine, John eight, thirty-seven through thirty-nine, Jesus speaking, says, I know that you are Abraham's seed. Seed is Strong's number 4690, which means the seed of the next genera- that will germinate the next generation. Jesus continues, but you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. They answered him and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. And continue on this same theme where Jesus differentiated genealogy Acceptance as being a child of Abraham to the character and values of the people and the fruits of their works. We can continue in Luke 19, 8 and 9. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I will restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day... Is salvation come to this house for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. So you can be a seed of Abraham, but a child of Abraham is somewhat different. Romans 4.13, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed, through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Galatians 3, 7. Know ye, therefore, that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. In Romans 8, 8 and 9. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Romans 8.4 That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. No, it did not say that the law be fulfilled by us, but the law be fulfilled in us. That's the difference. Old Testament, Israel tried to keep the law by what they did. We have the law inherently in our heart, or should have, or should be trying to improve that situation through following the instructions of Jesus. Some of the other diversional doctrines and red herrings and blue fringes, we went through biological purity, places to worship. The Trinity, one God, calendar issues, 19-year time cycles, obsession with determining who the beast is, rituals whereby one seeks to make themselves feel more spiritual the crucifix, rosary beads, prayer shawls, and skull caps, feigned love and feigned humility. The list probably goes on. I <clears throat> stopped at that point. Because the simplicity of preaching the gospel and the simplicity of redemption, I think, is illustrated in Acts eight twenty-six through 29, where an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Verse 35. Then Philip began with that that very passage of scripture and preached to him Jesus told him of the good news of Jesus. Now, at that point in time when this event happened, it was about, I'm going to estimate, about eight years after the death of Jesus, none of the Bible had been written. Perhaps some other letters were written. The Trinity came about in 325 A.D. after it became a doctrinal creed at that conference. So, of course, they say if you don't believe in the Trinity, you can't be a Christian. So, the day before they made the trinity doctrine a creed, you were a Christian, two days later, oh, you don't believe in the trinity? You're not a Christian. Oh, really? They don't have the power to take God's Holy Spirit from you. Philip went down and he preached Christ. He probably preached what Christ did during his life, Christ's death, crucifixion, and resurrection. Real simple. Philip didn't preach the Torah, beads, skull caps, trinity. He preached Christ. And Philip's message was adequate for salvation. It says in Proverbs 20, verse 9, who can say, I have made my heart clean. I am pure from my sin. Someone might feel they have accomplished accomplished some degree of this by pursuing red herrings and blue fringes. But we cannot (coughs) confuse activity with progress, spiritual progress. The psalmist writes in Psalm 5110, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Purity of heart is not achieved through diversions, red herrings and blue syndromes, blue fringe syndromes. It's not achieved through intellectualism, rituals, and object reminders. participating in the pursuits of red herrings and blue fringe syndromes is a diversion from the true spiritual walk in Christ. So how does one improve their spirituality then? Well, first it begins with desire, hunger and thirst. Do you hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God? If you want to try that out when it comes up to a three-day weekend, I I don't know how often you fast during the year, but there was a time in my life that I was pretty, pretty down on things, and I fasted for three days. I didn't think I could ever do that, but I did. After the first day, it, was act- it actually got easier. You like you get your second wind or something. But I tell you, you can really get much closer to God and closer than what you can ever think. And the ver- versions of our the versions of our society, not only what I'm talking about here, the red herrings, and the blue fringes, but life itself today. deters us. Because it's more about will. How how much are you willing to do to to pursue, to achieve a higher level of spiritual development through Christ? So it requires a desire and then a value. How much do you value him? One man tried to pay the apostles to lay hands on him so he could get the Holy Spirit. That's how much he valued it. And it all comes about through faith and trust. And here's a key point. 2 Corinthians 10.5. 2 Corinthians 10.5. Casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, there's nothing in the Old Testament that I know of that says ancient Israel was told to bring their thoughts into captivity. Here he's saying bring your thoughts into captivity. The blue fringe can't get that done. But the scriptures tell us how to do it. And I'm going to paraphrase this in the present tense from past tense, John 14, 26. John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father has sent in my name, he he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So who brings these things into your mind? Not a blue fringe, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings it into your mind. That's the tickler file. Not a blue fringe. Your task, my task, our task, is to stay in touch with God the Father and Jesus Christ. So we're motivated, motivated by the Holy Spirit within us. Not looking to blue fringes and red herrings. Passover is coming up, and there's no better time to review our relationship with Jesus. Seeking to understand our own deficiencies that deprive us of the fullness of Christ, and to seek remedies for that situation. Hebrews 10:16. References the key ingredient again. The key ingredient. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts. And in their minds will I write them. Do you believe that? Because it can't happen if you don't believe it. If you don't believe God's going to write his law into your heart and into your mind so you don't need strings on your fingers or ribbons on your finger or a blue fringe, that's not going to happen. You're going to stifle yourself if you don't believe it. You must believe that he will do that for you and then study accordingly and direct your life accordingly. Hebrews 3.12 Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. 1 Timothy 4.14, and we'll conclude here today. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given you by the prophecy and with the laying on of the presbytery.